so I mean, yeah, I guess we should talk about what we're doing. Uh, we should probably introduce ourselves. I'm Leah. And I'm Kathy, and this is the Replay Reviews Podcast. And we're two friends. We're going to be replaying, reviewing, and analyzing some of my favorite video games, which I'll be replaying. And I'll be reacting to them since I've never seen any of them, with the exception to the first one. So how did we start this? Well, we started it by watching Yakuza Zero, and we were dissecting every single part of it and talking about it nonstop. And like all good ideas, this one came out at 4 a.m. It did. 4 a.m. after like multiple nights of staying up late. We got addicted to this story, and that is how Replay Reviews was born. We have a YouTube channel where we're going to be posting gameplay video that will go along with each podcast episode. And what you can expect going forward are more analysis of our video games that we're going to play. And after the first game, Kathy will have never seen any of them before, so it'll be a mix of her initial reactions and my long-term reflections. So every Thursday, we'll be releasing the gameplay video, and we'll be analyzing it the following week. So basically, the game opens with this scene with this guy <laughs> beating up another guy. He takes his money, basically says you shouldn't walk around this town with a lot of cash, kicks him in the face, and leaves. I remember watching this the first time around. That Kirio was very violent, but looking back, he's probably the least violent one. Especially as time progresses and you get to see other people. He never initiates a fight out of cruelty. Mm -hmm. He only defends himself. And then on his way out, after beating up this guy and leaving him there... He steps on a newspaper that reads Camarocho 21st Century Redevelopment Plan Begins. And just the the tone shift in the music when that's displayed is kind of telling, sort of foreboding. It gets kind of dark and just mysterious. So I guess we'll just summarize the next scene real quick. He meets up with a guy in a cab whose name card is Loan Shark. So it becomes pretty clear that he was collecting a payment for this guy. And Kiryu seems kind of, I don't know, he's got a little bit of an attitude. He seems kind of annoyed at the loan shark who gives us a few clues as to who this main character is. We learn in the sequence that his name is Kiryu and that he is a Yakuza. And the loan shark also says, you dojima boys work fast so we know he's part of an organization by the same name. I did notice a start of a theme that I feel is pretty prevalent in this first chapter, which is appearances. He says to Kiryu, a proper Yakuza's got to keep up appearances. And then on his way to meet with the loan shark, he bumps into a guy who gets pretty mad about it. Um, but then when they notice the blood on Kiryu's face, they instead apologize to him. So that's sort of hitting on appearances again. He's got blood on his face. What does that tell you? Probably you shouldn't mess with him. But yeah, like Kiryu's attitude, let's talk about that. What do you feel like he's feeling in this conversation? He's very disconnected and almost cold-blooded, similar to in the when we first get to know more about him. He's just beating someone up and almost seems like he's uh, very cruel. And so he seems very disconnected for the person. He's very bland. I don't know if that's the right word. Yeah. He seems, I mean, 
<laughs> grumpy. <laughs> no, I'd be yeah. putting it lightly. He seems annoyed. He's this guy offers him extra mm-hmm. money and a job, and he calls him an asshole. But also, when he offers him that job, he talks about, you know, just the lifestyle and what kind of life he wants. And that's when we find out that Kiryu's been in the Yakuza for three years. And he asks, I wonder if that can be a fulfilling lifestyle as well. So maybe that's kind of the root of whatever attitude he's got going on right now. He's in the Yakuza. He doesn't know necessarily what he wants out of it. He doesn't know if he can find his fulfilling life in that. So maybe he's just a little bit lost. And he seems like he's always frowning. (laughs) He does Mm -hmm. like to frown. All right, so then we move on to the credit sequence. He notices the people reacting to him, sees his reflection in the car window, and then goes and washes off his face. And at the end of the intro, his pager beeps, and then we see the title of the chapter, which is Bound by Oath. Continuing on, we learn that someone named Nishiki is who paged him. And he's on his way to meet him. On his way, he stumbles into some people shaking a guy down. And that's basically just a combat tutorial. And at the end of that, we're introduced to Nishiki of the Dojima family. And they're going to go out drinking and they start having a conversation about Kazuma, who it's obvious that they know. And then just talking about living as young Yakuza in the 80s. I think the next thing I was going to say is... Uh, going with the themes of appearance, Nishiki is pretty much the opposite of Kirio in terms of color, flashiness, personality. Because we say uh, Kirio is very dull, but there mm-hmm. is something that Nishiki helps bring out Kirio is that's the first time we see him have more of a personality. Um, he's more playful and jokes around with Nishiki and he lets down his guard. Yeah, he seems super uptight especially by comparison when Nishiki walks up you know hand in his pocket twirling his keychain and then on your point about them being opposites uh, Kiryu says in like regards to Kazuma he always knew all I could do is fight you're the one who's good at the dance so even that is like they're different and then in this conversation they start talking about a guy named Kazuma Um, We learn he's in prison, and he's supposed to be released sometime in the new year. We also learn that he's the family captain of the Dojima family, which Nishiki says is number two in the whole operation, so he's pretty high up there. And then again, he mentions appearances. Other than saying, you know, like, you're starting to look the part, he says the Yakuza is only as good as his image, and then also later says, um, you know, when talking about all the citizens in the town. What you see is what you get. And so maybe Kiryu just doesn't fit in with that. Maybe what you see isn't exactly what you get with him. And then building on that, there is Nishiki's fancy new car that he mentions, and then also his fancy new lighter, which Kiryu still has. And we're going to see that come into play again uh, in Chapter 6, I believe. So just remember that lighter. Get to the bar... And basically, they're just, they're hanging out, having a drink. We learn a little bit more about their background, and then they sing karaoke. And just as many times as I've seen this, (laughs) it kills me every time. The scene opens up, they're at the bar, and Kiri's just like, you come here often? 
It just sounds like he's trying to pick him up. And then we also learn after Kiryu tries to pick him up that he has a personal bottle, which is why he was asking if he comes here often. He says it's only the second time he's been there, but that he has the personal bottle mostly so that they remember him and so he doesn't get mistaken for a bum. And then Kiryu responds, oh, you're a big important man with a big important image to uphold. So that again plays into the importance of appearances. The another thing to, is that Nishiki and Kiryu were both orphans and Nishiki was I can't remember I think another thing to remember is that they're considered as Dojima boys instead of Kazuma's boys. So those are just two things that they mentioned in their conversation. Yeah, so we learned that they were both orphans together and that they have some deeper connection to Kazuma and that he's the reason they're both in the Yakuza now. Kiryu says that he chose the Yakuza life chasing after Kazuma and that he he says, I'd do anything to repay him, but all I can give him is my life. So there's clearly something pretty deep that he feels like he owes to him. So they've left the bar, they made it to the ramen shop, and they overhear the news broadcast, and they find out that the guy Kiryu beat up earlier is dead. And as the scene moves forward, Nishiki talks about how this is bad for Kiryu, but also for Kazuma, who brought them into the family. Kiryu gets paged by Dojima HQ, asking him to call in. He shows up, takes a cab to Dojima HQ, and that's when we meet the three lieutenants. So we meet Kuze, patriarch of the Keno clan, Shibusawa, patriarch of the Shibusawa family, and then Awano, patriarch of the Taihei Association. So they're all there waiting for Kiryu. And we find out that the loan shark from Toko Credit, he called them and said that Kiryu whacked the guy. And so they're kind of just asking him, why did you do this? And they're especially concerned as to the location he chose to do it at. Awano says, that leaves the bigger problem. How do we draw attention away from the venue? But then they ask Kiryu, you know, like, was this Cosmo? Did he tell you to do this? Kiryu also reveals that the loan shark told him to collect at that location specifically. And then at that point, Kuze asks the other two lieutenants to leave. And he sort of reveals more about the importance of the lot to Kiryu, saying that, Dojima, the head of the family, gave all three lieutenants direct orders to get the lot for him by any means necessary, and that whoever gets the lot for him gets Kazuma's seat as captain. And then the scene ends with Kuze telling Kiryu to turn himself in by the end of the day and then leave his pinky finger. One thing is Kuze, he, I guess, is not really at the middle, like the the head of the table, but he's sitting on the the shorter end of the, the table, and part of it, we think that all three of them are equals, and I guess depending on the family, they kind of are equals. But it's more of those other two, their personalities are letting Kuze think that he's the one leading out of all three of them and the better of them. And it also goes to their personalities too, that Kuze's more arrogant, thinks he's um, the better one. And he dismisses the other two when he wants to talk with Kirio at the end. And we also learned that there's the 
tradition i don't know if tradition is the right word but there's that practice of cutting off your pinky finger uh as a sign of disrespect i guess or like false accusation or i think it's like anything atonement for your mistakes from what i know which isn't a lot yes (laughs) but i think it's just kind of like if you screw up like this is what you owe us so i noticed when he first gets out of the cab and walks up to the front door there's bars and they resemble like a jail cell is he about to walk into a prison you know are the people on the inside the lieutenants are they in prison you like is there symbolism here it seems purposeful to me throughout the conversation we find out someone killed this guy Kiryu knows it wasn't him we know it wasn't him but he also says that the loan truck told him to collect at that location which we find out is what has made this such a just detrimental issue for the family and so basically he's saying someone set him up but none of them buy that all the three of them came in already not wanting to they already had their minds made up of what Kiryu did Mm -hmm. they weren't there to defend him or to figure out what the situation is and see how they can help him or prevent him from going to jail they wanted Kiryu to admit he was wrong and to go to jail so it was just a whole big show of like oh we're gonna let you explain yourself but they already knew they wanted Kiryu to do the xyz and say that okay you're going to jail right it seemed like they called him in because mostly they just wanted some information out of him they kept wanting to know you know did Kazuma put you up to this and then, yeah, he tells him, turn yourself in by the end of the day and leave your finger. Uh, just, I mean, he doesn't do either. I'm just going to say that now. <laughs> Which is interesting that he chooses. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of, obviously, he knows he didn't do it. So there's, he doesn't want to take the fall for something he didn't do. He doesn't want to lose his finger or go to prison for something he didn't do. But he also knows he's in the Yakuza. So it seems risky for him to not listen. I think it shows that he has his own set of moral values. And I think that tests against what we originally saw when we're thinking he's disconnected and he just doesn't care about anything. And this is the first time where we're showing that he actually has his own set of moral principles. I don't know if all Yakuza's carried a gun at that time, but he didn't carry it. So it shows that he's not out to kill someone um, and he knows that he's being wrongfully accused. He's not going to take it. So I think it, it shows that we're seeing his personality and his own moral compass. I, I guess we don't know much more about what he's going to do next, mm-hmm. but it shows that he's not going to sit there and take it. Exactly. So now Kiryu has left uh, headquarters and he's walking down the street, pretty aware that the toko credit president has in some way set him up so he goes to his office to confront him when kuze interrupts the meeting and kicks the president out um and then they have a conversation where he asks kiryu to spy on kazuma for him because he's apparently holding a piece of information integral to obtaining the empty lot and kiryu refuses and leaves having thoroughly made an enemy of Kuze. Just going a little deeper into what happens 
here in this exchange. When Kiryu gets upstairs to confront the president, he asks him, you know, directly and quite angrily, which is fair, um, you know, why he set him up. And basically he responds, he said I should have you collect the cash there in the back lot, but he insists, you know, like, I was just doing what I was told. And so we never really figure out who this he is, who he's referencing for sure. But it's at that point that Kuze walks into the room interrupting the conversation. And it's it seems pretty clear that Kuze is the one who set him up. Kiryu certainly believes that. But I have a similar question as to, like, the Toko credit guy. Like, both he and Kuze offer him jobs. Uh, the Toko credit guy just, you know, offers him a collections job, I'm assuming. And then Kuze offers him to spy on Kazuma. So why would either one of them have set him up um if it's true that the president really doesn't know and he's just doing what is told then you know that makes sense but for kuze you know like why would he be responsible for setting him up i mean is it just to have leverage to get him to spy on cosmo what do you think i think it's definitely for leverage because kuze doesn't seem to be the type of person that is going to threaten you and still keep you on the side. I think it's either he's using uh, Kiryu to deliver the message to Kazuma, but it's also a fall person that Kuzi's just keeping his back pocket that whenever he needs to get something done. So I think he just needed a fall guy and that's why he decided to keep Kiryu. And then he kind of tries before just immediately, he doesn't just, you know, outright say, hey, I want you to spy on Kazuma for me. He kind of tries to turn Kiryu against him, but he says, you know, mm-hmm. like, he's using you and Nishiki as human shields, you know, he's, that's, like, some pretty deep brainwashing, so he's kind of trying to yeah. turn him against him um, pretty quickly, and obviously that doesn't work. Kiryu says, you know, you don't know me, you don't know Kazuma, it's not going to work. Um, mm-hmm. So he refuses the offer to spy on him. Even though Kuze offers to, you know, find whoever really murdered the guy in the back lot. So at this point, he's kind of admitting to Kiryu, like, hey, I know you didn't do it. You know, do you think he realizes that he just did that? I I think he's kind of grasping at straws that he's desperate mm-hmm. enough to say anything, do anything, to kind of keep the conversation going with Kiryu. Right. And it, he's also at the point where... It's kind of fine that, like, whatever I say, it's fine because you're a dead man and I'm going to kill you later. So I also feel like he probably is careless, but he doesn't care. But then going back Mm -hmm. a little bit, Kiryu, like, point blank says, so it was you who set me up. And then he just responds, maybe, maybe not. So he's not really revealing his cards, but he's Mm -hmm. revealing, it seems, information. Like, he knows that Kiryu didn't actually kill him. But in the end, he refuses Mm -hmm. the offer. So Kiryu walks away from Kuze, gets paged again by a number he doesn't recognize, but he assumes is Nishiki. So he goes to a payphone to call him, and it was him, and he asked him to come down to the Kazuma family office where someone named Kashiwagi is waiting to give him more information on the situation. So he heads there, and that's when we meet Kashiwagi who is captain of the Kazuma family, and he gives them more information on the empty lot and also connects it to the redevelopment project. I think it goes to just about Kiryu's personality. See, forward, it's starting to get to see more of him, and we see how loyal he is to those that 
helped him to Kazuma. His loyalty isn't with the Yakuza or with Dojima family. His loyalty is with um, Kazuma and 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 that bromance that he has. Yeah, with we Nishiki. do get a lot of more insight into his character, and I think it also sort of is starting to bring the the title chapter into focus. You know, bound by oath. Because um, we know, like he says in this chapter, like he's going to go end his oath with the Yakuza. So bound by oath, like what is, which oath is it? Because he clearly has no issue, you know, revoking the oath he has with the Yakuza if it means pr- protecting Kazuma. I think it's like a twofold that the first oath goes to Kazuma and, and, and that extends by nature to the Yakuza life. But he's breaking one which breaks the other in order to to show that same loyalty. So I, I feel like they they go mm-hmm. hand in hand. Um, so getting a little deeper into the scene, he shows up and the three of them are in the room and he's eating ramen with what we think is watermelon on top. We're not sure, but it looks an awful lot mm-hmm. like watermelon and... <laughs> I don't know if that's a thing, but I want to try it. It looks good, but interesting. Looks so good. And so they start to talk, and he says that, you know, Nishiki filled him in on everything up to when Kiryu went to uh, HQ after he got called in. And that's when he gives a little bit more insight into the empty lot and the redevelopment project, which is the Dojima family is just buying up a bunch of separately owned pieces of land and buildings so they can bundle it and sell it for a major profit. And then that's when Kashiwagi says that at this point they've bought up 80% of the neighborhood before they realize that this lot where Kiryu um, beat this guy up and where he was later found murdered, they just now found it. And it's like right smack in the middle of all the property they've bought up and they can't resell, you know, the bundle without it. Um, And the real hiccup is that nobody can seem to locate the owner of this lot. And so he thinks that whatever... Kazuma is supposedly sitting on is information on the owner of the lot and so they're trying to figure out you know what to do about the situation of Kiryu being framed and they know that they can't act directly against Kuse because they're both you know part of the Dojima family and that's when Kiryu kind of pipes up and says the most important thing for him is to protect Kazuma and throughout this whole chapter, everyone's been saying to him, you know, like, responsibility falls to Cosmo because he's the one that brought Kiryu into the family. And so the way he sees it, the only way to handle the situation is to ask the family to let him leave. Um, at which point, Nishiki and Kashiwagi both get <laughs> very upset because they know they're not going to let him just leave. He's already in trouble. And so they really don't want him to do it they don't think it's the right thing to do but he insists and his plan is to just get out of the clan get out of the family and then pressure kuze to find the real killer to prove you know he and kazuma are innocent okay so he asks nishi to give him a ride to dojima hq and in the car on the way there kiryu has a flashback basically they're at sunflower orphanage he and nishi and it's pretty obvious that Cosmo just beat them both up. Um, not necessarily in, a <laughs> in an abusive way, I guess. I feel like we should mention that. Um, but basically they asked to 
be let into the Yakuza and he refused and beat them up, at which point Kiryu has an emotional monologue. And then he he hits him with the uh, do orphans not get to dream line. And so I'm wondering, did he guilt trip Kazuma into letting them join up because Nishiki reveals that the next day they were in the Yakuza? I don't think it was a guilt trip. I think it was like the final straw that broke the camel's back. I think Kazuma deep down was on the edge of like, should I let them in? Should I not? I think he was hesitant to, but seeing Kido really wanting to be be part of that life, I think that was like that sealed it for him. I don't think he was I don't think he's the type of man that could be guilt tripped into anything. We get to Dojum HQ they park, and that's where the creepy guy in the window just hmm? appears out of nowhere. And then Kiryu gets out of the car and says bye and sorry to Nishiki. And I have to say, I think Kiryu was wrong to make him drive him there. He knows that Nishiki is afraid he's going to be killed here. And he doesn't agree with it at all, but he still makes him give him a ride. Like, he could have taken a cab so that he didn't have to feel like he's a part of driving him to his death. I think it's wrong, but I also think, and this is one of the few times where I feel like Kiryu is just selfish of, while he says that he's not going to, he's not dead mean walking it, I feel like he's just trying to take any other time he can spend with Nishiki. That's also just me, um romanticizing on their bromance. Yeah. <laughs> thinking that he just wants to spend whatever time he has left with Nishiki. But also maybe he's just so focused on Kazuma, who he has said he owes his life mm-hmm. to. That's all he can give to him. So he's just so focused on that. And so maybe he doesn't even realize what this does to Nishiki, but I think it's the start of what has an impact on him. Feeling kind of left out by Kiryu later on in the game. I just think it's an it was an unfair thing mm-hmm. of him to ask him to do. I actually never considered that part of it, but now thinking about it, I feel really bad for Shiki having to have Kiryu's back, even though he doesn't agree with it, mm-hmm. and to see his friend get hurt constantly. I will say that during this entire thing, I was very stressed because I was so scared that Shiki would uh, betray. Kiryu, but I'm so glad that doesn't happen. <laughs> Just keep driving. So he's made it inside the building. He wants to see Dojima, but he's greeted by Kuze. Kuze is pretty upset when he notices uh, Kiryu still has his pinky. He says, you're asking him to leave and you show up empty-handed. You know, basically, that, that's not how this works. This isn't something you can just up and quit. And through some back and forth Kuze ends up kind of getting stuck and accidentally letting Kiryu out of the family. He wants to kill him, but he would need permission from Dojima himself to kill a family member. So he kind of lets him out of the family to be able to kill him. At which point Kiryu's like, all right, that's what I needed to hear. And then a fight ensues. I think Kuze's always rash, and that's his biggest fault, is he overestimates himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. He he seems pretty confident. Mm-hmm. You know, when Kiryu walks in, he's 
kind of cracking jokes like, oh, you wanted to see Doji Masari's favorite shows on right now. You have to deal with me. And, you know, I'm going to handle this for Dojima. And it does not mm -hmm. at all go according to plan. At which point, you know, Kiryu's like, I, I still want to talk to you. I still want to talk to Dojima. I'm not done here. And Kiryu's like, fine, I'm going to go upstairs. If you can defeat everyone and get up there, then you mm -hmm. can talk to me again. So the fighting starts. Pretty entertaining fight scene to play. It's pretty fun. I've never beat someone's face over a urinal before but now I want to try it now we are upstairs after Kiryu has fought his way up there to get to Kuze and he tries to ask him again who's the real killer who set me up Kuze is still pretty pissed so he refuses and they fight so this is the first look at a tattoo we get and we're going to be analyzing tattoos as we see them so Kuze's tattoo. Let's analyze it. Yeah, so what it is, is it's an Enma? I don't know if I'm saying it correctly. As far as I know. <laughs> yeah, it's the Enma. And I guess, should we describe what it looks like? It's like a semi-naked semi, semi -naked chubby guy. And an Enna is, it's a god of hell. So it's what we know mostly in school from uh, it's like Hades. I think that's the equivalent of it for the Greek god. Yeah. And the Enna has two servants. I think it is the horse head and the ox face. So just jumping right into it. The, I think some ties that we can make is in the beginning we see Kuze and then he's always at the front of the table. Um, Shibusawa and Awano are always to the side and it's almost interpreted as Shibusawa and Awano are like his helpers, which is the, the servants, the ox face and the horse head. Mm -hmm. And that means that Kuze sees himself as the Lord of Hell and um, thinks of himself as the god or as the leader of the three of them. Definitely. I agree with that yeah. 100%. And then that makes me mm -hmm. think back to... Um the sort of symbolism with the bars in front of the Dojima family office when Kiryu first arrives. So maybe it's not like a jail. Maybe it's like the gates of hell. Maybe that's the symbolism oh. with his tattoos that we're supposed to combine. It's also that it's a god that uh, judges whether someone, the souls go into heaven or hell. And it's very similar to him deciding if Kiryu um, can stay or leave the yakuza it's almost like deciding his fate mm -hmm. yeah agree that's something i saw too is like enma judges the souls of people who have recently died and also makes sure like each one gets the correct amount of punishment and i could definitely see how kuze would be interested in this sort of entity he definitely seems to see himself as someone who's capable of running things and handing out judgment and punishment like we see with Kiryu when he tells him, you know, turn yourself in and cut off your pinky. So yeah, he definitely, I think he, he sees himself in this person, entity, a lot. Kiryu wins, and right after Awano and Shibusawa enter into the room, uh, followed closely behind by Dojima. And essentially, he's mad at Kuze for pretty much screwing up, including 
I mean, I think just losing the fight to cure you, but also letting him out of the family without anyone's permission. And at this point, he makes him give a pinky finger, which Kuze is probably pretty upset about since he asked Kiryu to do the same thing and he never did, but now he's the one with the missing finger. And I just have to comment on Awano's like noodle walk when he walks over to Kuze with the the board and the knife. It's just like it's mm-hmm. such a smug little strut. I don't know how else to describe it besides a noodle walk. He like noodles over there. So yeah, then he he cuts off his finger. And then Shibasawa takes it. Like, what's he going to do with that? I'm really curious now. We should look into this. Do they keep the, the fingers? I actually have that. Yes. As I know. Tell me. I'm like, what do you do with the... Okay. The you, oh, I thought you looked it up. I, no. Oh, no, no, no. I, I haven't looked it up, but I was curious, too. I wrote that down as one of the talking points, and I'm like, what yeah. are they going to do with it? As Awano is noodle walking over to him... He says, you love this accountability shit. And this is like the start of a new theme, which we'll see a lot of in the next chapter. And then another thing I noticed when he cuts his finger, it 100% sounds like somebody biting a baby carrot. 100%. (laughs) I was not paying attention to the sound. It just still kind of grossed me out. It was such a familiar noise. And then... Dojima basically says he has to stand by what Kuze said since he's a lieutenant and lets Kiryu out of the family. And he asks Kiryu, like, why are you going to all this trouble? And he responds, it's to prove him and Kazuma innocent. And he's leaving to take responsibility for the death of the empty lot because he knows, you know, this has caused a lot of unwanted attention and trouble for the family. At which point Dojima responds, <laughs> just kind of ignoring him, turns to Alano and goes, it's about time for dinner. Like, this is a serious situation, and this man's just thinking about food. But then he, you know, he gets back into the conversation and basically asks, you know, how do you intend to take responsibility? And Kiryu says he's going to catch the guy that really did it, and Dojima responds, you know, don't bother because responsibility, now that you've left the family, now lies with Kazuma since he's the one that brought you in. So essentially, Kiryu's plan has backfired. If he was in the family, I mean, he's just kind of stuck. If he was in the family, it's him and Kazuma. But now that he's out, it falls solely on Kazuma. So it's just 100% backfired for him. And that's when he's just kind of, you know, left on the floor wondering what the heck to do next. And then I have to comment on the most condescending cheek pat I've ever seen. (laughs) <laughs> he oh, just yeah? walks up, mm-hmm. Dojima just walks up to Kiryu and he's like, just get a job, just get a nice little job, have a nice little life, and he just pats him on the cheek. It makes him look like he's like a 10-year-old child. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote down just so much frustration with the way Kiryu treated the entire situation. Like, he should have checked in with, I don't know with who, but with someone, saying that if he leaves, does that clear Kazuma's innocence or does that make things worse and maybe if he asked that question earlier he wouldn't have gone through so much i just feel like he should have checked first and and Mm -hmm. see where the blame lies at right yeah i think he's just i think he's panicking and like immediately as soon as he can he wants to make it right and he's not really Mm -hmm. stopping to fully think it through and some of it might just be because he's young and he's only been in the yakuza Mm -hmm. for three years 
But yeah, I think he's just panicking and panicked decisions are often not the best decisions. All right. The final right. scene. He's left HQ. Somehow he made it out alive. Mishki will be very happy that he didn't drive him to his death. And he's just pretty defeated. He collapses in the street in the rain. People are staring at him like he's crazy. And then this guy just walks up to him. He knows who he is. He says he's aware of his circumstances. And he's been waiting a long time to talk to him. And all we know is his name is Tachibana. And also he has uh, a gloved hand. He does. He's just wearing a, like a black leather glove. He's very mysterious. But it's... it's I, I mean, they introduced him as the mysterious guy. But how did he know where Kiryu was going to be? He just found this guy in the middle of a street. So it seems like he's stalking him, kind of. I mean, he's not just keeping tabs. He knows exactly where he is. And it's just... It's mysterious, again. Um, looking, you know, as we... If we can try to look through Kiryu's perspective, you know, all this stuff that's going on is pretty crazy, pretty intense. And then this random guy just knows about all of it and knows where to find him. Like, I would want to know more. Uh, and is he going to betray him? Because right now, Kiryu doesn't have many people he can trust. No, exactly. He doesn't hardly have anyone he can trust. I mean, the only two people he really can trust Nishiki and Kashiwagi, and we already know they didn't want him to be doing this, you know, so does he even have their support anymore? He's he's in a really terrible spot, and he doesn't have the same kind of backup with being a Yakuza, because now he's a civilian. It seems like he's trying to look the part, but he's not acting the part. You know, he didn't obey the commands to turn himself in or to cut off his finger. He didn't obey... Kashiwagi to not ask to be let go. So, you know, he's trying to look the part, but he's not acting the part. I'm here wondering, was he even trying to look the part? Because in keeping context with saying that he's not trying to look the part or act the part, he also wasn't listening to Nishiki of trying to dress yeah, better. Yeah, and then um, when Nishiki says, like, you, you gotta have an expensive suit, you gotta look the part, you have, you know, an appearance to uphold and Kiryu's like well look at Kazuma he doesn't wear flashy clothes and that's when Nishiki says yeah but he's the captain when you get to that level you can wear whatever you mm -hmm. want so we know like Kiryu got into this because he's following Kazuma and so maybe he's just getting ahead of himself you know he's Kazuma has the freedom and the authority to be more of his own person within the organization and that's how Kiryu's acting, but he's not there yet. He hasn't earned that yet. And that's where he's getting into trouble. And then the whole bound by oath. I think it's pretty clear at this point now, like, his oath is to Kazuma. And mm -hmm. it's becoming impossible for him to uphold that oath because of his other oath to the Yakuza. It's like they're intertwined, like you said, but now they're, they're butting heads and then going back to the uh, the symbolism with the like the jail cell, did he just break out of prison? Oh, I think literally and figuratively because he's no longer with Yakuza. He, his hands aren't tied behind his back trying to do everything with having to get mm -hmm. approval. 
So that's in the figurative sense. And literally, he's just outside the building. He's a civilian now. He no longer can be associated with those Yakuza affairs. Exactly. And the good news is he can he can do whatever he wants, but they can do whatever they want to him. So we'll see how it goes. So I'm thinking of doing a new thing at the start of each episode. Well, I guess each chapter. Just mm-hmm. like an out-of-context summary. So are you ready to hear okay. an out-of-context summary of this chapter? Yes. All right. In this mm-hmm. chapter, we stand naked in a random guy's apartment, we eavesdrop <laughs> on some unsuspecting citizens, and we thaw a homeless guy's tongue. <laughs> should we start? Yes, All we right. should. So we start the scene out with an ABM. Any guesses what that stands for? <laughs> a... I don't know. Give me a hint. <laughs> What's S? Or it's M. obviously a, an almost booty moment. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So. Is, that, is that gaming lingo? Oh, or? no. <laughs> and it might stand for something else. I know we love our acronyms, but we might get ourselves in trouble one of these times. Yeah. <laughs> but as far as we're concerned, that's an almost booty moment. That's how the scene opens mm-hmm. up. Kiryu is in a shower, and we see his tattoo on his back. Um, it's just the line work right now. There's no coloring. And then it just keeps panning down and panning down. It just, it stops right before we hit crack. And (laughs) it's, I mean, I don't know. What do you, it's just like a weird way to open a scene. Well, I I do have to say that uh, this game is great for eye candy for both guys and gals. For guys who are playing that, of course, um, there's there's a whole bunch of photos of just the the females dressed very provocative. But for the fe- females playing this game, you can see um, pretty much naked Kiryu <laughs> minus his lower body half. You got the front chest and the pecs, and then you get the back um, tats and almost booty moment. You're not wrong. This game is kind of horny. It's mm-hmm. kind of horny. And then next tattoo is going to be. Hideo's, um Black Ascending Dragon. And that one, it, Black Dragons are associated with um, experience and wisdom. And right now, just the outline. So at that point in time, it's more of that he's still trying to acquire some wisdom, some experience. He still has so much to learn and so much to grow. And so that's part of the, the ties between as his tattoo, as he starts filling that out more. Then he also starts to fill out more of his own experience. And it's more just mm-hmm. like a foreshadowing. Yeah, exactly. It's a good symbol. It's like his tattoo's in process and he's an in-process person. He's not a legend yet, but he will be. So yeah, definitely I think just having the line work is very symbolic of where he is. I think you mentioned that the dragon is pretty much mainly black when it's completed. Um, which we won't see till the next game, but... Figured we'd talk about it anyway, instead of rehashing it again in the next game. But I also noticed that the, like, spiky things, the fins, whatever you call them, like, lining the top and bottom of the dragon are blue. And I found that blue dragons are more, like, for forgiving and gentleness. And I feel like that's really perfect for Kiryu's character, as we'll continue to see just how gentle he is, especially for someone with his life. So I definitely don't think that the blue is an accidental choice. 
another reason why it's so cool that the the coloring hasn't been added yet because just looking forward as we know who his character will be well you don't yet but it's cool to see why they chose those colors but we'll get there when we get there ascending dragon not yet complete not yet ascended perhaps why is he why is he in the shower that's my question he sure he found him in the street but i'm not like i don't know this guy i wouldn't take a shower in anyone's apartment who i just met it seems a little odd (laughs) you won't accept food from the guy but he'll take a shower in his slippers um (laughs) But I was going to say that it seems like in most movies, they always have like some kind of like a shower scene. So I guess this is our equivalent of a movie shower scene um, where they're just in the shower, hands against the walls, just reflecting against everything there that's going on. So much angst and being framed and everything. Not that you couldn't have done it at home, but of course, we all like a good um, ABM. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Nobody's complaining, but it just seems a little odd. I don't know. I feel like, in all fairness, if Kirio gets his uh, ABM and a shower scene, I feel like we need one for Nishiki and <laughs> from Majima. <laughs> <laughs> all right, moving right along. Kiryu walks out of the bathroom in a robe and slippers. Um... And then Tachibana is there. That's when we learn where we're at. And he's just like, hey, you want some food? And Kiryu's like, no, I, I'm not big on taking food from strangers. And through the conversation, we learn that Tachibana knows quite a bit about Kiryu and his situation and his background. And I don't know. I'm wondering because I've heard that like eating with someone is sort of like a form of trust. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of weird and uncomfortable to eat in front of somebody you don't know. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, I barely get over eating my sandwich in front of my coworkers. <laughs> <So> yeah, it's <laughs> awkward. I do. It's, it's, and it's also the same as like going out for drinks with someone you don't know. Like, did they brew you my drink or anything? So I feel like that's... <laughs> Whoa, you just took it. You took it like way... Way farther than I was <laughs> than I was going. Well, to. I mean, if this was in the eighties, I I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. That's true. I mean, he is in the shower in a robe, so the the moment is right to be roofied. <laughs> but <laughs> but I mean, honestly, how awkward does it be? Like you walk out, you're like, "Where are my clothes?" I guess I'll put on this robe and slippers, and then you get offered dinner by this guy like i'd say no too that's awkward i don't blame him he do probably think that tachibana is trying to wine and dine him before (laughs) right but as far as far as the trust goes there is none um like we were talking about it's easier to like talk or talk to eat in front of somebody you know kiryu clearly considers him a stranger he calls him a stranger but tachibana obviously knows a lot about kiryu so that kind of hints that like he's not a stranger to him he knows probably more about him than he's even letting on and so he's able to eat in front of him i don't know the other question is there is also the fact that tachibana is so at ease and you have to wonder what has this guy done that makes him fearless 
So they're having a conversation. Tachibana says, I'm assuring you I'm not a threat to you. And he just starts eating. I guess he's hungry. And that's when we notice that his gloved hand isn't moving. And Kiryu notices that as well. And he mentions, like, excuse my table manners. I have a prosthetic arm. I lost it a while ago. And he's talking about how much pain it causes him still. And, like, painkillers have no effect. So now he just deals with the pain. And that's kind of something I feel like will pick up oh we'll just continue to see with his character is him just continuing on through pain of multiple sorts oh i was gonna ask um not ask but say make a note that kirio with the whole point about him being emotionless there's a sentence where he goes like did i ask so it's like so rude but it's so in line with kirio's personality because he just doesn't care he's um disconnected yeah i think his attitude in general in this game i find really fascinating in every other game like he's still serious you know but he's he's really grumpy in this game kathy tachibana asks kiryu have you heard of this term suedanthium sudanthium i don't know (laughs) your guess is as good as mine it sounded easier to say in japanese i won't lie anyway it's basically the idea of smaller flowers making up a bigger flower. And he says, you're familiar with one, you know, sunflower, the orphanage. And that's when we learn for sure Kiryu and Nishiki grew up as brothers, as he put it, in this orphanage that was run by Kazuma. And they think of him as a father. So we get some more insight into how deep those relationships really are. And then just thinking of that metaphor that he gave for sunflower, I feel like that plays in, you know, to the Yakuza as a whole with the families and the clans, but then also with the empty lot, if the sunflower, you know, the the main being is the redevelopment project, then the empty lot is one of those miniature flowers that makes it up. And so I think what Tachiban is trying to get at is without that, like, does the flower die? You know, <laughs> like, I don't know. Do you think it has to do with the empty lot at all? Is he trying to explain to Kiryu the importance of the empty lot using this term and associating it with the orphanage. If that's the case, I do think so. I, I think he's using the orphanage as a way to trigger Kirio into having some emotion and and having some ability to tie tie things together. He says he wants the empty lot too. We find out he's uh he's not in the Yakuza, he's just a civilian and he operates a real estate business. And he wants the empty lot as well and he asks Kirio to join him. And so he offers to protect Kazuma and help prove Kiryu innocent. And he says he can do that if he gets the empty lot. And even with that much on the table, Kiryu still says no, which is, I understand because he says, you know, an offer that like is basically it's too good to be true. And I understand that he's already gone through a lot being naked in this guy's apartment and having his clothes taken and being offered food by a guy with one arm. It's a lot to take in. Kiryu has really nothing to lose at the same time is that what's he gonna do um i think though the main thing is that he's lost all his trust in 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 people in general he had faith that the dojima family would would kind of like let it go um but they disappointed him like everything he's predicted is going wrong Mm -hmm. so it seems like he's starting to second guess his instincts that whether or not he can trust him i don't know yeah. And then in this in this little pitch from Tachibana, 
he mentions that he has a considerable network in Camarocho, and we'll see that continuing to move forward. Like, this guy has reach. This guy has reach, and we don't know where he gets it from, and he's definitely in the shadows. So we'll see that continue to move forward, but at the end of the scene, Kiryu asks him, like, what are you really after? And I think that's a great question for later on in the game as we continue to get to know Tachibana's character better. I mean, the immediate answer, he doesn't respond. We're assuming he wants the empty lot this whole time, but then when he doesn't respond, it kind of makes you wonder, like, is there something more that he's getting out of this? After leaving Tachibana's, he realizes he should probably let Nishiki know he's not dead. Uh, so he goes to the Kazuma family office where Nishiki runs out and is very relieved to see him alive. And then they kind of just ask talk about how it went he basically says I'm out of the out of the family and this is when he starts talking about accountability he literally says this is about about accountability and he's kind of rejecting Nishiki's help and the Kazuma family's help and just saying let me do this right but he does agree to talk with Nishiki about what's going on so they're going to meet up at his apartment later so now we're at Kiri's apartment and Nishiki walks in and they catch up on the current situation and everybody involved, and they talk about how the police will probably be after Kiryu. And then Nishiki says that the, the Toko credit president was shot and killed just a few hours ago, and they're pretty sure it was Kuze. I mean, what do you think that says? What, like, why is he dead? Who killed him? It, it just kind of goes to show that Kuze's... I, it's so hard because on one hand, I'm thinking that Kuze's insecure. He he needs to kill, like, kill people off just so to keep them hush-hush. And uh, he doesn't have that much power as he think he does. Um, it's the fact that he needs to kill someone because he's scared they're going to be disobedient. But at the same time, he's kind of playing it smart that dead man can't talk. So, right <laughs> not? And he has no more value for him. So, it's, it's like opposite sides that one, he's either insecure or he's smart and so a little bit just, of both maybe yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean that's a good point i mean the man just lost a pinky he's not doing very well he's kind of he's <laughs> in trouble so i think it, it's safe to assume that he killed him he knows too much um but that makes it pretty obvious for kiryu nishiki that just directly confronting kuze is maybe not the safest option and that's when Kiryu mentions Tachibana Real Estate and that they offered him a partnership. And then that's when we learn from Nishiki that Tachibana Real Estate has been sort of encroaching on the Tojo clan's turf. And they've been buying up real estate. They've been running out people and businesses that the Tojo clan is protecting. Just taking over and he says even Tojo is trying to, to shut them down. Um, but mentions like... Yeah, they're nasty, but imagine if they were on your side. It seems like the only option now for Kiryu, so he decides to kind of, you know, potentially accept that offer, but he wants more information on them first, so he's going to go try to find some. Um, and then something I think kind of important to both of their character developments in this game is that Kiryu rejects Nishiki's help again, and he seems kind of sad, <laughs> offended by it. Um, 
you know, they're basically brothers. They're also oath brothers. And he wants to help him, but Kiryu's like, no, this is about accountability. I need to do this myself. I think he doesn't want people cleaning up his mess that he's sort of created. But what do you think it... Do you think Nishiki is feeling like hurt and rejected by Kiryu just saying, you have to stay away from me right now? Yeah, I think definitely. The fact that in episode one, he tried to convince Kiryu and Kiryu was like, no, I don't need your help. I'm not going to listen to what you do. And not only that, I'm going to make you drive me to my death um, and possibly get slaughtered there. And Ishiki listens. And again, it's just like trying to tell Kiryu don't do it and his best friend's doing everything that you're trying to convince him otherwise. But I do think that it's it's hard because accountability is not just to the society itself, but it's also accountability to himself that he wants to hold himself accountable for his actions. And if he let Nishiki participate, he is going to bring harm to Nishiki. So he's just trying to be accountable. So I I think it's it's a twofold. It's one to be accountability to those who are hurting the innocent, but also to himself for protecting his best friend. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I agree. You can see both sides of it, but I think they're not seeing each other's sides of it because the situation is so, I don't know what the word is. It's just like right now they're in the middle of it. They don't have a lot of time. They're in the middle of a storm. Yeah, exactly. They're lost in the storm and they're not having the time or the wherewithal to consider each other's points of view. They also don't do a good job communicating with each other. They don't. (laughs) They don't men <laughs> we're gonna get so much you're gonna have to cut that out you're gonna get so much hate for saying <laughs> men with such contempt we're gonna leave it in kiryu runs around town eavesdropping on people he just <laughs> he might as well have just like joined the conversation that he eavesdrops on he walks right up to them and is staring right at them from only about three feet away it's absolutely clear that he's listening to them he finds out that there's a bar called Namase that Tachibana Real Estate is trying to acquire, trying to get him to leave the building that they bought. So he gets to Namase and is talking with the owner. In this conversation, we learn that he's paying the Jinsei family, which is, he's, he describes them as like three rungs down in the Tojo family. He's paying them protection money, but that Tachibana Real Estate basically sent them running as they continue talking someone from Tachibana real estate arrives and that's when we meet Oda who is kind of he's kind of a butthead he's he's presenting himself (laughs) not very good offers him a lot of money Um, that's when we find out that he got all the protection money back from the Jinsei family so he, like Kiryu says, he, he shook down the Yakuza. And then he gives him an extra $4 million for a total of $6 million. But Namase still is like, I'm not going to leave. This isn't about the money. But then Oda leaves, and as soon as he leaves, he's basically just on the floor swimming in the cash. I don't know. What do you think? What do you think of Oda? What do you think of what Tachibana Real Estate's doing? I think uh, Oda is arrogant. I think that's a bit of an obvious first impression to him. But he's also 
cool in a way for not exposing the guy so much as like like he Oda knows that the guy's playing not playing them but doing this to get more money but he's still okay with 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 going along in that game and giving him that money because Oda didn't have to if he knew he could have just said that I know what you're doing and I'm only gonna give you two million take it or leave it but he's still willing to play the game of putting six million so I think it's also showing or letting Kirio know that they have a lot of money cash that we can afford to buy these plot of land it's the same kind of self-confidence that Tachibana projects and you have to be uh, pretty gutsy to be carrying six million in cash with you while you're walking down the streets. That's true. I'm actually gonna I'm gonna jump into a next scene. Um, I think okay. it just fits better into this conversation. But as soon as Kiryu mm-hmm. walks out of the building, he starts talking to a homeless guy who says that Tashiwana Real Estate has eyes and ears on every corner, and they talk about how they're uh, controlling the Jinsei family patriarch. They somehow used Tachibana's network to uncover that the patriarch was skimming profits and he lost a finger for it. But he sort of hints that that was just the tip of the iceberg with what he was doing. And Tachibana Real Estate's holding that information and just holding it over him to control him. I think I'm just going to add one comment that um, got me to think I was writing some notes on how, once again, Kiryu is wrong about his judgment we're talking about that starting to doubt himself because he decided to be this guy's protector and he bought the act of oh i need to protect my family that kind of thing and as the guy's just picking up the money kiru stands there and i think again he's like man like constantly one after another i thought this guy was good he he isn't he's greedy and so it's like constantly being wrong so in his conversation with the homeless guy outside of Namase, we learn that Tachibana Real Estate hires homeless people. And so Kiryu runs around town and eventually finds a group of men that do work for Tachibana. They tell Kiryu that they get hired um, by Tachibana Real Estate and actually by the Tojo clan. They just kind of be nuisances um, around properties that they want to purchase just to kind of scare away other people and make it uh, easier to convince the owners to sell. The homeless guys think that the Champion District is the next target for Tachibana Real Estate. So he's going to head to the Champion District next. Did you have anything in that scene? I don't. It's kind of not very exciting. (laughs) It's kind of (laughs) dry. And it's too long for what we learn. Kiryu heads to the Champion District and runs into some residents who are assuming he's Yakuza and are tired of them showing up constantly. And then it's after this fight that we learn from these guys that Tachibana Real Estate is actually protecting them from the Yakuza. And so Kiryu's a little confused and it seems like just the tone and the feel of Tachibana Real Estate is starting to change and maybe they're not as bad as he is assuming they are. Um, and so as they're discussing this, then Oda walks up, and in conversation, Kiryu says, Tachibana offered me a job. And it seems that Oda hasn't heard this yet, so he calls Tachibana. And after his conversation with him, um, Kiryu is invited to meet with Tachibana again. 
And again, seems like Kiryu is wrong about whatever he's seeing. Like, that Oda is not really what he looks like. Or not really what he seems like. Yeah. He is kind of smug. A little bit of a butt face. He uses his middle finger to press buttons on the phone. But maybe he's not so bad. Mm-hmm. All right. There's a lot to unpack here. But let's just start at the beginning. Kiryu arrives back at the building and is greeted by some dudes who want to beat him up. They say that Oda said to... I mean, to beat him up. <laughs> so he fights these guys sent by Oda and then makes his way upstairs where he then actually fights Oda. Basically, he's he's testing him. It seems like an odd way to measure somebody and figure out if you can trust them, but whatever. So he beats Oda, and then Tachibana arrives, and he says that he needs Oda's approval. He says he's practically one of my limbs. And I feel like this is an interesting line because Tachibana is missing his right hand. So you could almost say that Oda is his right hand man. <laughs> it's literally <laughs> and physically. <laughs> so we learn that Oda Oda's pretty important to Tachibana and what his opinions are and his perspectives are are important. So however he needs to test Kiryu, doesn't matter. Tachibana must have a lot of faith in uh, Kiryu to be okay with him fighting Oda. Tachibana has known Oda and his, his right-hand man, so he must be really good at fighting, but he has so much confidence in Kiryu that he knows that if they do want a one fight, Kiryu is going to come out winning. Tachibana has so much faith because he knows there's a risk of telling Kiryu everything, and if Kiryu has that loyalty split between his former Yakuza family and with a complete stranger, there's a chance that he can go running to Kashiwagi. There's that risk, but Tachibana is willing to take it. And it kind of goes to show that we know it's important to him, but this is even more important that he's willing to risk Kiryu screwing up his plans. Tachibana displays his power. He starts talking about what is Kamurocho to you and Kiryu doesn't really have an answer I think he's just kind of over being beat up by people he was invited to meet with but Tachibana goes on to say that he sort of views it as he says a feeding ground and it's encapsulated in glass so it's kind of I think what he's I think what he's trying to get at is basically it's just so closed off and controlled by the Yakuza and then he says that he he intends to crack it open and that's when he waves his hand and power in the city gets shut off and the first time I saw this scene I had no idea what was going on how is he doing this what is happening his aim is to be amongst those who control the city so I think he's just he's fighting with the Yakuza in the Tojo clan right now for power. And he says, I intend to see how far my power can get me against the Tojo clan. 
And then the power comes on a few seconds later and he says, I'm afraid right now the answer is not very. So my question with this um, is like how how does he wave his hand and get the power to go off? What do you think is happening here? How is he just waving his hand and turning off like a whole block? I'm still confused because I remember I had similar reactions like you when the first time I watched it was, how is he doing this? What is he doing? What is going on? Why is the power turning off? And I don't know exactly if he has people in this. And how does he sync it right for the timing, too? <laughs> you know they practiced. Thinking, you know they practiced. Yeah. <laughs> Every night at 10 o'clock. Okay, guys. Um, no, but I think he probably has people who I'm assuming are like walkie-talkies or something where he tells his team to turn off these power and they would shut down the power grid and then see how long they can hold off before someone from the Tojo clan turns it back on. Yeah, exactly. I think you I think you're right. I don't think we know exactly how or who is turning off the power, but we know it's his say and he's controlling the power going off and he's fighting with the Yakuza for literally for power, like <laughs> electricity mm -hmm. and then they turn it back on so they still have more of a pull more sway in the city mm -hmm. and then he goes on to say like empty lot is what would tip the scales in his favor and acquiring that lot would allow him to to free the city from being encapsulated in glass by the yakuza and i think he's kind of just showing kiryu this is what you've been a part of and he's kind of i think trying to show him like i'm not bad i'm not the bad guy here and then he mentions that the tojo clan is it's not united right now there are people everyone's working against each other to get the empty lot and to get power and control in the clan and that's when he reveals that he's been working with kazuma for at least six months he says he entrusted kiryu to his care six months ago before he went to prison, so we know they've at least been connected for six months, maybe longer. Moving forward in the conversation, Tachibata mentions that his alliance, I guess, with Kazuma is why he approached Kiryu, that he wanted him to approach him, and that sort of convinces Kiryu, but he still needs some proof. And that's when Tachibana is like, everything that's happened so far is exactly how Kazuma saw it unfolding. And he knew Kuzi would ask him to spy on him. And then that makes me wonder, if he saw all of this unfolding, does he have something to do with the murder in the empty lot? How do you predict something like that? If You know what I mean? Did he just yeah. know? Is I mean, is he responsible? Or does he know that someone else would do that? What do you think? I, I, you just made something, a few puzzle pieces in my mind click. Because one, before you even asked me that question, I was thinking that, well, if he's so smart, how did he not predict he would be in jail? But it's because maybe he knows he's going to be in jail that he has, in a way, an alibi of the guy's murder. So I wouldn't be surprised that he may have had something to do with the murder of that guy. And I do think that if Kazama was the one who had something to do with this guy's murder, I think he probably knew that that would confuse things a lot more and make it harder for Tachibana. 
Because if they're in the same boat, he probably wouldn't want Tachibana to be struggling so much. Mm-hmm. So I feel like while it's possible, I don't think it's likely. Yeah, I feel like from my interpretation, there's there's one of two possibilities here. Either he, like you said, he got himself arrested, which Tachibana hints at. Kiryu's like, if he's so all-knowing and can predict all of this, then how did he end up, you know, in prison? And Tachibana's basically says, I think it, it was just part of his plan. It was a necessary step for his plans to unfold. And so there's either he, that's his alibi for the killing, for setting all of this into motion, or he got himself arrested because he knew that means that the three lieutenants would then be up for consideration for his position and that they would do something as reckless as pinning a murder on Kiryu. So I, I feel like those are the one of one of two options and most likely there's the second one. I think you're right about that because maybe he purposely put himself in jail so he wouldn't be in the position where all three of them have a common enemy and try to defeat him. If he puts himself out of the game, they're just gonna fight amongst themselves and screw up. So like, uh, Kuze already failed and had to lose a finger. Maybe he knows that these three are going to want to fight and I'm going to purposely make it so they're, they turn against each other or they do something stupid when trying to become the winners and then they can all lose more fingers or die. <laughs> and then Tachibana reveals the hidden information that Kuze was wanting Kiryu to spy to find out. And that hidden information is him. It's Tachibana because he knows how to find the owner of the empty lot. But I had a couple more notes. There's a line that Kiryu says, I guess I still didn't have any clue just what kind of man Kazuma really is. And that's interesting because he's been putting his life in extreme danger to stand up for this guy. And he still doesn't really Uh, know who he is. What do you feel like that line I keep going back to Kiryu's self-doubt in everything that's been happening. He's been constantly proven wrong. He His judgment has been off. And he's just kind of being reflective that I don't know if what I'm seeing is what's actually happening. And I don't know who to trust. So why should I... I guess not. it's not the why should I trust, but how can I trust someone if I can't even trust my own instincts right now? Also, I don't blame him because, yes, he's known Kazama his entire life. And while he owes Kazama wherever he is right now, it's all because of him. That same doesn't go the other way around. Kazama doesn't owe Kiryu anything. And he has no reason to tell Kiryu everything. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. And it just reminded me of something in the last chapter. When Kashiwagi and Ishiki were trying to stop him from going to ask to be expelled, he said, even if Kazuma himself was asking me not to go, I would still go because he's doing this for Kazuma. So maybe um, he kept Kiryu in the dark because he knew he would try to stop it. I think he would stop at nothing to convince Kazuma not to do this, whereas Kazuma knows it needs to happen like this for whatever his greater plan is. Kiryu's not really sure who Kazuma is, but he's still, like, he's his only beacon of hope right now, and he's what he's been focusing on this whole time. 
And so he still just needs a little bit of proof. And that's when Tachibana reveals the pocket watch that has the picture of um, Kazuma with Kiryu and Nishiki as youngsters. I have to say that photo is very cute of them. It's really cute. Yeah, young Kiryu and young Nishiki. <laughs> and at, at that point, he's he's on board. He's thoroughly convinced this is what Kazuma wants. So he's he's going to do it. Yeah, I feel like... What, what does he have to lose right now? Here's the thing. When he was asking to get out of the Dojima family, he knew there's a chance that he was going to die. And once he got over that fear, he pretty much it feels like he unlocked a new level of being fearless. I think he's accepted the fact that the worst that's going to happen is I screwed up, but I kind of already did. So I'm just going to trust <laughs> this very few evidence of just a pocket watch. Yeah, and I think he's maybe feeling a little bit better about himself because he's realizing so far everything has gone to Cosmo's plan. So maybe everything he's done has gone to Cosmo's plan. So maybe he really hasn't messed up. Maybe he's played the exact role that he was meant to play and that Cosmo wanted him to play. And that's it for this episode. Gameplay videos for the chapters we'll be discussing next week are up on YouTube. Give them a watch. And we'll see you then.